This week on New Tricks, we were joined by Christian Dykstra, director at C1 Capital, when we happily talked about fried chicken. Please refer to Dave Grohl's autobiography for further life lessons, repurposing conference and meeting spaces, and how to turn a dark kitchen into a bright vision. Hello, and welcome to another episode of New Tricks, which is the weekly podcast from New Dog PR. I'm very pleased we are to have you here too. Um, joining us with this week is Christian Dykstra, which I'm pretty sure I pronounced correctly. You can yes. flounce off in a, in a huff <laughs> if I haven't. Um, and he's the director at C1 Capital. We're delighted to have you with us, Christian. Um, welcome, welcome. And how are you? Thank you. Yeah, I'm very well. Thank you. All, uh, all healthy here at home. So I'm, uh, yeah, very well. Thanks. Good. Pleased to hear it. How are you, Catherine? I'm very well. Thank you. Yes. Good, good. No scams so far. No scams so far, not in the last 20 seconds since we've been, we've been talking. Um, <laughs> it could happen, it could happen. And we're not, this isn't a link to start talking about Brian Chesky and his plans to stay in a million Airbnbs in three weeks, whatever it is. So seamless. Yes, no, we mention that. We mention that. But people are welcome to contact me if they think he's gone mad. And you were in Forbes this weekend talking about that very thing, I, I see. This weekend talking about that very thing, yes, yes. About how Brian Chesky invents things in his mind that have already happened in the past. Yes. <laughs> and so this 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 time, he and other people, he's not alone because Brian is not as inventive as he might be in our strategic experience. Um, he's come up with the concept of extended stays if anyone in the hotel sector would like to raise a hand and say if they've already heard of extended stay maybe there are some brands they could put mr chesky in touch with but uh yes and so this is news of good old brian has decided to live like a digital nomad um and 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 in fully embrace this glorious this glorious brand that he's created by in it, indefinitely staying in Airbnb. I believe he's staying for a year. For right. Year. There's been okay. no clarity either a from the tax office on where they will find him resident, um, or b whether he's going to be staying in them anonymously or not, um, mm. because one suspects that the CEO turning up may get a slightly different service experience than the rest of us. Regular listeners will recall that last time I stayed in Airbnb, I was accused of eating the ornamental fish uh, on X. Let's <laughs> forget. No, it's true. You laugh, but it really happened. <laughs> and it went on for about a week um, of them saying, when you arrived, there were fish, and then you left, there were no fish. It's worth pointing out that it was a river, so the fish were welcome to come and go as they pleased, one assumes. And they chose to leave during our stay, um, and we were duly accused of having stolen them and eaten them. Um, and yes, anyone who's ever dealt with the um, sort of conciliation service that attaches itself to Airbnb will tell you that you will not be getting away with these things and they don't care. So one assumes that Mr. Chesky will not be being accused of eating a fish uh, during his many stays. Um, and um, and yes, and it's, I suspect, nothing more than a really raging um, publicity stunt because it's perfectly possible to stay in extended stay locations in the rest of the hospitality sector. Mr. Chesky, you have not discovered anything new, um, but we are Alas. nonetheless, nonetheless amused by his many... And, and yeah. he particularly enjoyed the 13-point 13, 13 post, Twitter post uh, in, to announce this. That felt like a lot of scrolling was, was involved. Scrolling. And if anyone can tell me what decentralising travel is, um, they are welcome to get uh, to get in touch. Again, drop Christian? 
decentralizing yeah, travel. Decentralizing any, travel. any guesses? It sounds like as you know, as I said, the has worked out very well for Germany. Um, it's I thought the very nature of travel meant that it was decentralized. That would have been my guess too. It's pretty de- decentralized as it is, but uh, yeah. you would think that the very nature of travel was that it was in fact decentralized. But um, but never knows. I don't, I don't think. I think that for Brian, who's obviously running out of PR things to do, a needs to get in touch, um, and B wants to watch himself, but he doesn't get caught. Sort of. I think probably around kind of February or March time, sneaking off to the nearest St Regis for a night, and uh, and I'm willing to put a one million dollar bounty on whoever gets that photo of him in the oak room in New York, saying "Screw these Airbnbs." He'll <laughs> <laughs> be looking. And we for look fish. forward to that day. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> I've eaten all the fish. I'm off to the egg room. But uh, yeah, poor Brian. So yes, oh, poor Brian. his many, many, many adventures. We do. We do, we do. Um, talking of many adventures, how are the adventures at C1 Capital going these days, Christian? All good? Yes, yeah, all uh, all well, all things considered. Um, we, um, I suppose, have a, a mix of operating structures and we... Um, Ended up through COVID managing one of our, our hotels direct. We already managed one direct, so that was uh, eventful to say the least. Um, not that we were particularly looking to add more to our payroll, but um, it, it's worked out well, um, to be honest. Uh, but yeah, obviously the uh, the early part of 2020 was challenging, deciding what to do. But um, I think after kind of mid. 2020 um we we had a sense of kind of how we could control our costs and um yeah we're at the moment we spent we spent a lot of 2021 looking to to raise equity to buy more hotels um there probably are some opportunities um that will come by um so yeah all things considered we are um we're doing well and probably I'm a bit more upbeat than I would have been if you asked me you know, this time last year. <laughs> and um, to hear what, it. what sort of thing are you looking for? Because it, it strikes me that everyone seems to be looking to buy hotels. I judge myself hourly that I'm not. <laughs> yeah, it's. I think that um, obviously the, uh, the flood of distressed assets are unlikely um, because lenders are or have been patient and probably if they uh, lose their patience they will probably work with their borrower to uh, come to a solution rather than force them so I, I don't think that we per se um, think there'll be too much distress sales it's more that there will be more willing sellers if that makes sense that you probably have someone who instead of holding out for the last pound on the table um, is willing to do a deal more more seamlessly um, so uh, f- for us, we are, because we're quite small, we're um, quite or opportunistic, really, in our acquisitions where uh, we uh, don't have a prescriptive um, kind of asset that we're looking for. But generally, you know, we are looking for something that gives us some operating risk, although if we're able to buy a lease that works well for whatever reason so that the assets we own actually were all leased and then we um ended up uh, terminating the leases and taking them back so I, I guess we sit in that market where 
um, maybe it doesn't work for some investors because they either want an operating hotel or a lease. And we can take a view that I think that lease is going to, uh, I can negotiate a termination there or uh, be, uh, I guess, a bit more flexible. I don't need to hold for five years and sell. We can, we can hold a bit longer. So, But generally, the usual in terms of something that's over 100 rooms um, and in locations that have um, various demand generators, which I guess COVID has taught us is quite important if you're dependent on one or many of these cycles have shown us that when you're dependent on one demand generator, it becomes very tough. You, um, Catherine, you've got leases in, like with less than 10 minutes in. Is yeah, making you... leases is the greatest month. I know. <laughs> this is the best podcast ever. <laughs> I love a lease, but it's interesting that you talked about how you had to take them back because that's that's the greatest fear, isn't it, with leases, that you're going to have to interact in some way and not just forget about it. Yes. So yeah. I wonder if yeah. there's kind of greater involvement with people who have leases for, where they can legally, obviously, but where... Yes, whether it's, in fact, the whole thing, hasn't it? We've talked about this before, has been about how if you own a hotel now, you might have to get more involved, whereas the appeal of the last 20 years is that you could own a hotel and be in no way involved. Um, but now it's all a bit, audience participation is required. Yeah, and I think more people are becoming comfortable with that uh, to a certain degree because um, it's, I suppose, the, the profile of investor that's been attracted to leases just wants to collect the check. Um, but now realizes that perhaps they're buying at such a sharp yield that maybe that variable income can be um, attractive. And there are a lot more operators that will now kind of be, um, uh, I guess, helpful in the sense that they they can look at deferring their fees or they can they can kind of have a owner's priority return. And as we kind of come towards the end of that first sale and manage back period the management contracts are probably more in favor of the operator or more aligned was historically they've been very in favor of the operator. Um, and maybe that's why now the traditional lease investor is more comfortable with uh, uh, the trading risk because they have a bit more control. You, um, you mentioned demand generators and very well you might. Um, how has uh, how's the pandemic affected where you are looking? Are you staying well clear of city centres and the ghost towns that they are, or you uh, are you convinced that they will all come back at some point and so uh, demand away type thing? What, how are you how are you looking at the different um, sort of different parts of the industry? Yeah, I think that um, city centre demand will come back. Uh, maybe in a in a different um, shape, in a sense that you might not have the traditional corporate demand that you used to have, but you might have someone who stays from Monday to Wednesday instead of commuting in, and they, they've moved out a bit further. So I think that, that there'll be a change in the type of demand you're going to attract. Um, so yeah, we, we'd still look at city centres. I think at the moment it's it's very tough. Um, you know, we've got hotels in locations that should not we have should not be doing better than our hotels in London, but they are. Um, so that's quite interesting. But I, I think in the long term they'll come back, depending on the city centre. Um, but you know, if they have good fundamentals, I'm, I'm pretty confident uh, that there's no issue with those. It's just at the moment it'll be tough for some time. Um, and, you know, the restrictions that Europe or the world have will have an influence regardless of what we have in the UK. That will help us 
UK restrictions helps us locally, but it's not. Um, it won't solve all problems for us. Uh, I suspect not. Um, and asset management. Let's talk about that. You invest. You're investors and asset managers. Um, we've heard a few times, haven't we, that asset management is important. A lot of the time, but particularly when the chips are down, as they seem to be now, albeit perhaps being sort of gathered, ready to be picked up. What, um, in your view, what is the significance and importance of asset management? How does that help in a, in current times? I think that the uh, value that could be added is essentially your, if you're running a hotel day to day, you you have a don't want to say a blinkered view, but you, you have a lot to deal with. Um, and, and from an asset management perspective, you can look at it a bit more holistically um, and and spend time on things that maybe uh, your your management uh, doesn't have the chance to look at. Because I think you know, we, um, 60% of our staff uh, were made redundant, for instance. So you, you're working with a core team that's much smaller um, and they're, yeah, doing their day job, but they're also helping out by mowing the lawn or um, other things around the hotel. So you can spend a lot more time as a as an asset manager if they're taking care of the day to day running, looking at you know meeting rooms. I mean, we 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 ended up with a eye clinic in one of our meeting rooms. Um, can we? Um, yeah, I, I I tried to actually get uh, become a vaccination centre, but ended up with an eye clinic. So that's an interesting turn of events. Um, and but you know, <laughs> and I think things. Well, like, I used to get blood the jury's in, so. Yes, yeah, yeah, but but I think that the um, uh, you know you you can also then look at you know, more the real estate as a whole do you um change the layout um which maybe management is a bit more reluctant to do or feels that it's it's harder to achieve and not realizing that sometimes that investment is uh, worth it because even if we save 30 grand the value of the asset is multiples of that as a result so i think that's where you can add value and, and it's just helping them stay on targets because it's very hard you know it's very easy to spend a lot of time on something that actually won't yield anything um sometimes um they get bogged down with um trying to agree a contract and uh, you know by by the end of it it's actually not going to give them any income um so you know I, i think that that's also quite helpful where to be a sounding board for them i think historically there's probably been uh, a more turbulent relationship with the asset manager, but I think nowadays it's more collaborative, and we all have the same motivation. I think at the end of the day, a hotel that does well and then generates good levels of profit, and that's achieved through, from an operational perspective, uh, you know, good service levels, which gives them their job satisfaction. I mean, it's the third deciding factor for when someone stays is the, the service levels. Um, and uh, you, you also, in terms of being efficient, is you know, it helps them. I guess it's a sense of accomplishment if they have a target to achieve and, and understand why they're not getting there. Uh, I think that's quite um, satisfying from a job perspective for uh, for the employees. I'm fascinated by the eye clinic. How did that all come to be? Yeah, I, um, I, 
I read that they were looking for um, hotels, locations uh, uh, for the vaccination center. So I thought, you know, the, our hotel is a big car park. And we have tons of meeting space that we're not using. So I called the local NHS trust and they said, I cannot help you. Um, but because of the burden on the NHS for the uh, with COVID, they now didn't have the space for the uh, eye clinic for diabetes. So would you be interested? So we took that on. We've had it for over a year now. Um, and it works well uh, because they they get put something in their eye when they go and they have to wait a bit. So get a bit of uh, revenue out of uh, teas and coffees. Um, we charge for parking now. So it, it's all... Uh, it, and they pay for the rent of the room. So it's space that otherwise we wouldn't have um, used at all. Um, it wasn't used, utilized much before COVID in any event, and we we're looking for alternative uses. So it was uh, um, yeah, just a fortunate uh, turn of events. Interesting. And what alternative uses are you considering? I say this whilst you're thinking, I say this in the, yes, in the full knowledge that, um, and I'm not giggling at, at, at the concept, um, I'm giggling at how aligned we are, Catherine, we need to, genius. Um, last week, we, uh, we, were, we were doing some work with Watson Farley Williams um, and hosted a webinar talking about, which discussed where CapEx may be directed in 2022. And one of the areas that we talked about was what are we going to do with all these Gopin Great Big Conference spaces that are um, unlikely to re-emerge as Gopin Great Big um, uh, conference spaces in in their full usage anytime soon. And uh, one of the suggestions was... Um, so we need to we need to find spaces that appeal to the leisure market because we know that the leisure market is there and very active domestically um, uh, specifically, um, and indoor gardens was a suggestion um, as well as things like leasing out to leases again. Catherine, we're doing well um, uh, to local retail uh, and things like that. So I'm interested to I think we'll be interested to hear what it is that you are considering. Can the eye clinic be permanent? Do you want a permanent eye clinic in your hotel? I think what we quite like the idea is of um, if you had, let's say, multiple complementary uses. So if it's a, I don't know, chiropractor, masseuse, uh, whatever it may be, altogether, dentist, that sort of stuff where it becomes a, a little hub, um, which I think a lot of provincial hotels have that kind of uh, quite a lot of parking space good accessibility to to the meeting areas in any event but you know all our hotels have separate uh separate access to those meeting spaces so that's uh, you know be interesting to look at to be honest I, i'd never considered an indoor garden um it's maybe something we'll start looking at um and then yeah i i think there's quite a lot of yeah, kind of leisure uses that you could look at in in um, in the meeting rooms, um, which I don't know. Look at like panic rooms or something like that, where you you kind of really convert that space into something else, uh, depending on the location. So, I, I yeah, really keen to um, make use uh, of that space in some way. Um, and I, I do think that you know there are a number of our hotels where I, I think the the demand for meeting rooms will will dwindle, or the kind of 
the economics of it just won't make sense anymore because even we we have speed awareness courses and now they want to pay less and uh you know not realizing that you know utilities have gone up wages have gone up everything's gone up but they want to pay less so it's a different uh, economic model that they work to so but someone will take that so for us we then have to look at what can we fill that space with and how do we keep that space active um so yeah i mean we we're during lockdown or the last 18 months or so we've had um oh, probably two years now the a dark kitchen um so we did and that's done really well um much to so how did you how did you make it work well because we had right at the big in the first pan, the first lockdown people were all in fact no just, when people realized that you could do takeaway food again and that that became a sort of slow drip and the pub started to get into it this realization that you could have dark kitchens and we spoke to any number of people who tried dark kitchens and it hadn't worked for us logistical reasons the staff clashed with the you know different people who were already involved in the kitchen and the branding was unsure and the cost of the delivery was unsure and and it wasn't the kind of panacea that everyone was looking for how did you make yours work it's so there are various um kind of operators out there that take care of a lot of the um more challenging aspects so they come up with the concepts uh, of the food that that's being delivered, they have all the agreements with the Uber Eats, Deliveroo, Just Eat, etc., so, and they do that distribution for you. So you, all your real, or all in inverted commas, you basically you have the kitchen and your staff is making their food, um, and they they can spend a lot of time on the marketing of it, which as a single hotel would be challenging to do. Um, the, the, yeah, it is a big challenge. The the overlap between um, the uh, main hotel when it's running again. So you know, if you're doing weddings and then suddenly you've got uh, forty uh, fried chicken burgers going out in a night, it's that that is a challenge. And and especially you know things that perhaps you don't always think about is when you have um, the vegan menus are now very popular, but you then need a whole set of separate fryers because you can't have you know meat going into the other fryer so it, it becomes you know, so it only really works if you don't need to take on additional staff and the equip you don't need additional equipment once you need to do that it's it, the return on your investment is 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 a long one and it's uh, quite challenging but uh, the operators are you know quite willing to kind of help out with maybe funding that the additional equipment the staffing i mean we we have the opposite issue now is that we just can't find the staff even for our own kitchen <laughs> so it's not it's not as if it's too busy it's just we cannot find the staff to do it so it's um quite uh, quite challenging i wonder if you could double up dark kitchen goes dark yeah, double or double up delivery drivers to be chefs as well. They could be chefing when they're not delivering. I don't know. I'm 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 struggling to get past the idea that what you could do as a solution to this is just offer the wedding guest the fried chicken because I'd be well up for that. That is that, that is initially the what kitchen. I what that I thought. Oh, yes, forty. Mm. <laughs> I did go to that wedding. Yeah, I did. I did. Um, did Brings it all back to Dave Grohl. The wedding of somebody in the hospitality sector. At a certain hour, they did do curry. 
Christian, before we we get we digress too far into fried goods um, and their various merits, which is a p- very pleasing way to spend a Monday morning, um, I would like to ask you about ESG, the topic of the day, um, because in the extensive research for this podcast, um, I noted that uh, on your Twitter feed, you asked a question to the Twitterverse, which is very different from the metaverse, but still exists. Um, you asked the world whether um, ESG requirements should fall under a CAPEX or OPEX, and presumably there are pros and cons and virtues and non-virtues for each. So uh, over to you to discuss. Yeah, I think the, um, the challenge is obviously it depends on on the type of hotel you have and and what you're investing in so i think let's say take a very easy one led lighting you you can phase that over a period of time and that that comes out of opex you know when the light bulbs go you replace it or you replace 10 every month and then that's quite easily done but if you wanted to make an impact um right away then it makes sense to replace everything um, and then, so that then becomes a much bigger investment, and for that to go through your P and L is probably not appropriate. Um, so I, I think it is it's that fine balance working with also the operator to to um, depending on you know what sort of um, amounts are going into your your sinking fund. I mean, we've got hotels where we've got let's say, million pounds a year going into your sinking fund, it's quite easy to look at changing out boilers for heat pumps or replacing all LED lights. Whilst other hotels, 40,000 pounds is going into your sinking fund. You you probably have other um, investments to make just to keep the hotel running. So I think it, it really depends, but it is so important now. Um, you know, I guess coming back to what we discussed earlier is is that you know, even from kind of the lending my you know lenders are now asking you what are the ESG credentials um also in terms of um corporate clients you know from certain near future years there's certain big corporates that will only stay in hotels that have certain credentials um the big question is but how how do you measure it you know, at the moment um there are ways of measuring it, but it's not consistent across the board, and that, that's being work, worked on at the moment. Um, so it, it is. It's very. It's very important, as you say. It's it's very uh, kind of topical, but it, it, I think it's it, for older hotels quite challenging. Um, and I mean, I was encouraged to hear recently that um, I think JLL is spending a lot of time with their valuers looking at. Um, Kind of adding ESG and incorporating incorporating that in their valuations, so that makes them for as a hotel owner that makes a lot of sense because although no one will in certain hotels you know you know you might not pay more for the room, but as long as the the yield is adjusted to it and my debt is cheaper, then as an owner it, it there's a huge incentive to do it. Um, so I think that's uh, otherwise where. Uh, what, who who takes on that investment? You know, after every five year cycle, everyone thinks, "Well, for the next person, I'll uh, I'll leave them to do it." And so it goes on. Um, can we ask you, as, as a slight change in tack from ESG fund, um, what your most memorable hotel experience is, please? I have to give this some thought because the the, the downside of 
owning hotels is what you is uh, that you know what the average rates are, and then you suddenly when you have to pay for your own hotel room, you think, well, that's that's a lot of money. <laughs> so my wife always <laughs> complains that why do you work in hotels but you don't actually manage to stay in nice ones? So I think the kind of most memorable one would have been probably my my honeymoon in the Maldives. Um, which is you know a long time ago now, but that's probably still still the most memorable one um, on the water. Um, and I suppose it's just the um, service levels and and the product being uh, something different to a kind of normal hotel room in a in a block or a tower of some sort. Uh, so that uh, yeah yeah good answer. No panic rooms required there really. No, no. Well, that'd be quite nice because then you could just be isolated there, and you'll never have to. Um, you know, you'll never you won't have to come back. It'd be great. <laughs> Do that. Yeah. I'm still panicking. <laughs> could make the honeymoon more eventful, but uh, yeah. No, uh... <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Doesn't have to give any reason for panicking. <laughs> yeah. Panicking's usually in the forty-eight hours running up to it, though. So that's different. Yeah, that's true. true. Yeah. That's yeah. true. Maybe consider installing them in, in hotel. There we go. Yes, in wedding hotels. With big, we- <laughs> with big <laughs> wedding, wedding facilities, consider installing panic rooms. See, yeah. So those pre-nuptial jitters. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Just make sure you can work well together. Yeah. Shall we, shall we? <laughs> do in, in the panic room. Yeah, exactly. Panic. Um, Christian, we finish all our podcasts by asking our, our guests the same set of questions. So um, if we may uh, borrow you for two more minutes while we chunter through these questions, yeah. that, is that convenient? Absolutely, yes. Super. So the first question is, when the shutters came up and I had the jabs in my arm, the first thing I did was... I have to think about this one, but I think I uh, went out for lunch with my family, support hospitality. Very good. So it's a, that is a double virtuous answer because you've got hospitality in there and family. So well done. Exactly, Ten points. yes. yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the best thing about the hotel sector is? I think it's being able to create uh, an experience for people. So no matter what the product is, you know, I, I say to so many of our GMs that, you know, there are a lot of products now that are very similar um, and the way that we can differentiate, even if it's a dated product, is the experience. Being able to um, give something that is, is kind of different or special or just attentive. Um, and it's one of those great industries where because you have an interaction with the guest, even if you make a mistake, then you could still make it right. The hotel sector would be significantly improved if... Um, I think as a kind of the kind of day-to-day running of the operation of it, I, I think it, and this is what's coming now out of um, the whole kind of COVID experience, is just improving the working environments and, and giving people, um, a, yeah, I suppose just a better working environment and, and a... Um, a platform to kind of grow. Uh, I think a lot of um, in Europe, hospitality is is seen as a career. And here that still has to develop. Uh, And I think if you can show people that you can start at entry level jobs and grow to be uh, grow into management and but also giving 
that exposure. Um, you know, I think for a lot of people that I speak to, the result of COVID will be that people become kind of uh, multi-skilled. So you can work in the restaurant and uh, the front desk. And that's how we ended up solving our uh, dark kitchen issue, where we basically trained more people to actually prepare that food. So be it a night porter or be it the receptionist. And that kind of gives people the ability to look at, oh, I, I thought I enjoyed the reception, but I prefer food and beverage or something else. I, I think there's a lot more focus on that now, the ability to train people and, and um, give them job satisfaction and treat them right. I mean, you know, it's not, they're not, it's an industry maybe that's, that took it for granted that people would work 14 hours. Um, and maybe that's, uh, that, that will change moving forward. What the industry needs now is? Guess. <laughs> yeah. And fried chicken. And yes. fried chicken, exactly. Yes, bearing fried chicken. Yeah, I think it's it's a depending on what kind of angle you're looking at it, but it'll probably boil down to something similar. But it is it it now needs just um, uh, I guess more people to travel again, and if if that is going to be delayed, then I think it's support from the government in a very kind of targeted way. Um, so there is a lot of support out there, but uh, you know, some of the um, grants are, are are not appropriate for um, you know a hotel that loses two hundred grand a month. If you get six thousand pound grant, it, it's not it doesn't it's not fit for purpose really. Um, and uh, I think that maybe the council's working together with the hospitality industry a bit closer to understand because I, I think that a lot of the um, and owners are, are willing to find a solution and not that they need want to take the money. They'll give it back at some point, but finding the right balance um, because at the moment it's very black and white. It's, you know, if well, we're trying to defer a payment on, on something and, and the response is no, you've got a grant. But that grant is, I'm talking to you about a, let's say a 200,000 pound liability and the grant is six grand. It's, it just doesn't uh, match up. So I think that that's from the ownership side of things. I think that's what uh, could be useful. Absolutely. Um, and finally, what do you think we've learned from this? Um, I think we've learned that um, you never know what's around the corner, really. <laughs> so I think what we've learned is basically um, how, uh, kind of resilient people can be and how, uh, you know, when, when you need to, that everyone pulls together um, to, to kind of uh, the, the uh, support we had from our staff was, was amazing where, you know, you've got people because of, let's say insurance purposes, you have to have two people on site all the time, you know, people making willing to basically, you know, spend the night in the hotel for weeks on end to make sure that you fulfill that. Um, but, and, and also the, um, the reality that you can run hotels maybe a bit more efficient um, in a sense that, you, that people can multitask and that solves, can solve the problem around salaries where you can then afford to pay people more um, because people are 
uh, more productive um, during times that maybe a receptionist didn't have people checking in and out or uh, the restaurant was a bit quieter. So I, th- I think that is uh, something positive to come out of it where hospitality has been criticized for low salary levels. I think this is a way for us to improve um, those those kind of salary levels. Marvellous. Absolutely marvellous. Um, Catherine, have you just... Uh, dwelling on Lisa's fried chicken and chesky anything um <laughs> lull you out of that, that 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 thought cycle on a monday no no i was wondering um if we could get kind of some some brief thoughts on the cost of debt at the moment because that seems to be sort of wildly varying early on in the in the pandemic there were some lots of people did some exciting refinancings which i think will probably come around and bite them probably sooner rather than later but any thoughts you would have would be most welcome yeah, I think that um, the, the biggest challenge is that <clears throat> debt has been hard to come by. Um, so you, you've ended up with maybe certain debt providers who are willing to lend being quite uh, quite a strong position, let's say. Um, so that's changing. There, there are more debt providers out there that are willing to provide debt on hotels. I mean, we're probably seeing... Um, most of the debt is, uh, I guess, we, we spend a lot of time looking at interest-only debt, so it's probably 3 3.5% over, over Sonia. Um, but, you know, it can go as high as 5 or 6 and you know, we had to refinance during COVID. It must have been last June, July, and you know, you're probably ending at 5 or 6%. You're fortunate that the incumbent bank uh, helped us out and extended the loan, but it is, um, yeah, I, I expect that we'll probably end up being around that uh, three, three, three and a half percent over Sonia moving forward. But it's not. Uh, I think it would take a bit of time before you see um, you know, majority of the banks coming back. Marvelous, nifty indeed. Um- Christian, we're going to wrap it up there and uh, say thank you so much for your time. Um, lovely to catch up with you and continued goodwill, success and all of that good stuff. Um, lovely to see you, Catherine. Lovely to see you, Emily. I'm off to sell my panic rooms for uh, <laughs> free wedding panic room concept. <laughs> you do that. And if you should need any PR in the process, <laughs> do let me know. I'll give you a shout. <laughs> Right, thank you all for listening um, and do join us again next time. Bye-bye. So that concludes our thoughts for this week. Thank you to everyone involved in creating this episode and providing something for your ears whilst walking the dog, washing the cat, chopping the veg or however else you pass the time while podcasting. Please do review and subscribe if you get your ear entertainment via Apple or follow new tricks if your ear delight comes from Spotify. These things make a difference, apparently. Until next time.